0: Welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. Here we talk about everything healthcare and technology, and I'm your host, James Someroo. Hey everybody, this week I'm joined by Max Anson, and he is a machine learning engineer from Febris. Now, Febris have been on a couple of times before, but they are a company transforming community care using AI-guided tools to support carers to give more effective help to vulnerable patients. Max himself is on an AI-powered mission to achieve this goal. So Max, welcome to the Health Tech Podcast. How are you doing, mate? Thank you very much. Doing really, really well. How are you? I'm well, thank you, mate. Uh, as we talked about, we're using a new piece of software here, Riverside FM, to record these podcasts. Uh, my editor is going to be very pleased with me for uh, for using this. Apparently, the quality is going to be way better. So we'll <laughs> see if the listeners notice the difference. I'll see if my statistics go mad now, but... Uh, Anyway, as a techie yourself, I'm sure you can appreciate a good bit of software, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm very excited to be the guinea pig today.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Cool, mate. So, um, yeah, welcome. I'm super excited to have you on. Uh, Obviously, Feebris are a client of ours at SOMEX, and I know Alina and Adam really well. But we had a chat about machine learning, and we had a chat about some of the projects that you were on. And you were somebody who I definitely wanted to get onto this podcast because... I've said it now, but you're eloquent, you're outgoing, you're gonna produce me a fantastic episode here, and you're gonna tell me all about what it's like to be a machine learning engineer in healthcare. So I'm super excited about this. But for our listeners, mate, why don't you just kick off by telling us a bit about yourself. Start off with where you're, where you're speaking to us from today, and then tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about your background, and yeah, walk us through your journey to becoming a machine, m- machine learning engineer in healthcare, in Februs. Let's talk about that.
1: Sure. Sounds good. No pressure with that intro at all. <laughs> no pressure, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> sure. So uh, yeah, I'm Max. I'm a uh, machine learning engineer at Feebrus, as James has said. Uh, currently speaking from my place in London. Um, and yeah, a bit about my background. So as I said, yeah, machine learning engineer at Feebrus. I'm currently focused on uh, primarily extracting various biomarkers of disease from pulse oximeter signals, uh, as well as um, looking into seeing what we can extract from stethoscope signals as well. Um, In terms of my journey to getting to where I am today, it's uh, got to really go way back, I guess, to secondary school, actually, where, uh, just like everybody else, I had no idea what I was going to do yet, I had no idea what I wanted to pursue. Um, in fact, I was really, really interested in music uh, out, of, out of most things and I thought I'd uh, end up in something like music production. Um, and then I had an extremely inspirational mathematics teacher in the last one to two years, uh, so when I was in sixth form. And it got a bit crazy. Like he he would just say some amazingly inspiring things and we'd have like these really, really great chats. And he just opened up this whole new world of the power of mathematics and what it can do to help people. And yeah, it just sounded like a really enjoyable subject to get involved in. And um, yeah, so many different areas that you could go into. It got like pretty crazy to the point where um, I would sometimes race him into school Uh, for like 6 a.m. and stay until 7 p.m. in my final year before uh, university when I was, uh, yeah, (laughs) when I was uh, training for like all the exams in in sixth form. It was uh, me and a friend. He kind of gained a bit of a cult following at school where everybody would be trying to race each other. Definitely not cool looking back.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it though? Is it? I I believe it might be these days maybe um, sort of got sounds like sort of guy you'd see on tiktok these days like giving some really inspirational explanations to how certain <laughs> concepts work and that kind of thing oh, i feel yeah, like i just just
1: missed that but i was just slightly too early <laughs> <Such a shame. laughs> i'll tell
0: you what though mate it does it does show so i'm i'm a i'm a guy that likes teaching i've always liked teaching um even when you know when i was a when i was on medical sh- even when I was a, at school you know teaching other people and trying to you know pull them up and and start i've always enjoyed teaching there's something about it but like similar to you i've got examples of these really inspirational teachers that seem to galvanize so many people to wanting to learn which i think is super interesting like the power of a good teacher in a community or however you want to put that is just ludicrous in my opinion because as you've said like you can get all these people doing this crazy stuff, like going to, you know, to get to school for 6 a.m. till 7 p.m. just to learn from somebody. Honestly, in terms of like role models and all that stuff, yeah, I get it completely. It really is transformational, I think, someone that can really, that that is born to teach, you know? Absolutely, yeah, and he was just really the the epitome of all of those qualities, and it's something
1: that I always look back on and I'm really, really grateful for, and it's really crazy to say that it's really defined my life to where it is now. Uh, yeah. And I'm so happy with where I am now. And it really boils down to that moment when he just started giving those inspirational talks just during the maths
0: class. It's uh, oh, that's awesome. pretty incredible. <laughs> I, hope there's still, I hope there's still that level of flexibility in the curriculums these days. I know that people talk about teaching a lot, don't they, about how um, standards and regulators and all this sort of stuff can kind of take the soul out of teaching but oh yeah honestly that the flexibility to then inspire mm. I think is key um, you know you my mind just goes to like I wonder I wonder what level of impact this guy has actually made because he's multiplied his own impact by inspiring a generation clearly of people like you and obviously in other year groups too and what they've gone on to do super yeah. interesting.
1: Absolutely yeah as I said there was this cult following even when I was there and I know that uh, a bunch of my peers were also inspired and they pushed themselves harder and they ended up going to different unis that they wanted to do because wow. of the things that he said so it's really really powerful it's uh, yeah, wow. amazing individual Um. so yeah basically. Basically, uh, that was really the first point of uh, contact with maths where I found out that this is something I really want to start pursuing Uh, and as a result I kind of switched track from um, pursuing music production to actually going on to applying uh, for mathematics at various universities Uh, and luckily got in um, and I got in at the University of Bath and that was a fantastic uni really look back on those years with a with a lot of a lot of happiness made a lot of friends and just a lot of progress uh, professionally and personally and it's really really cool nice um and but while i was entering that uh yeah the university period i wasn't i still wasn't sure what i was going to do with this thing i knew that there were a lot of different opportunities but i didn't know what that was uh, i think uh, i was definitely one of those people that looks at maths as something very abstract that uh you can do some amazing things with it. You can start with a completely blank piece of paper. And whatever you write down, if you've like got some axioms that people trust and believe in, you can come to so many concrete conclusions that are like these unshakable truths about the world. And that's really cool, um, but that's really it. Like it's just quite, quite an abstraction quite often. Um, and it's difficult to see where you can necessarily apply that. Like obviously a lot of subjects use mathematics such as physics or engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, to get to where you want to be. Uh, but having like that, yeah, that, that step out, almost like the philosophical version of, of those subjects um, in terms of how you think and um, yeah, how you get to these proofs, it's tricky to see where you're going to apply it. So for the first couple of years, I wasn't sure where I was gonna go with it. Um, and then luckily the University of Bath is really, really great for offering opportunities for students in terms of year long placements in the industry. And that's something I decided to take on. So I worked at Abbott Diabetes Care, which is a subdivision of Abbott, a pharmaceutical company, very large. Nice. And I worked there as a student medical statistician. And the main thing that I was involved with was analyzing a lot of clinical trials and just getting involved with the statistics team to uh, produce those reports and ensure that the product was very robust and that, we were yeah, reporting the numbers correctly and, and everything to the FDA and various bodies uh, about these clinical trials uh, to make sure that everything's on track. And it, it was kind of like a lot of monitoring um, of the product. So the, the main thing that they, they were doing is uh, something called the Freestyle Libre, which um, I think is quite, quite big right now, actually, which is really cool to see. And this is a, a sensor that can, that's kind of inserted, I think subcutaneously, if I'm using the right word, in, into the skin. <laughs> and just rests on the top and you have this reader where you can read that sensor um, at any point and scan it and get your blood glucose reading from that Uh, and at the same time it's actually measuring that continuously Um, so you have this continuous measurement and also if you just need a very very quick measurement you can also just scan using this device. Um, Very revolutionary, very cool and uh, yeah it was really fun getting involved with the team and understanding this sort of stuff. And that was really my first experience in the medical sector. And during that placement, I was uh, really lucky to get involved with a a data science project as part of that. And uh, that was really the first time where I was introduced to this whole world of machine learning. Like what is this hype about like data science, machine learning, big data, all these things. Um, And it really opened my eyes to how cool it is and how amazing this um this tool that you can do like that you can learn is actually for society if you can apply it to healthcare. Uh so I was just really in the right place at the right time to be introduced to these tools that were not quite in my reach just yet but I could just start to grasp while on the job um yeah. in the industry that's is very mission driven and um yeah, no, I think everybody uh, would agree that working in healthcare, it's, it's amazing because you know that you're helping people at the end of the day, or at least you hope that you're helping people. And that's something where you can wake up every day in the morning and feel very motivated. So I was really in the right place at the right time for that. And there and then I realized that's what I want to be doing. I want to be doing this really cool data stuff and applying it to the health sector. Um, And that's really where, yeah, the story starts to kick off. So I really thank the University of Bath for um, offering those placements to students. They're really, really good with this stuff. And yeah, it's really defined everything going forward. So I'd say that's the second pivotal moment besides my teacher. It's really this placement. Uh, And without that, I'd still have not really been sure what it was that I wanted to do, but that set the path. But there were also things about the experience where I realized I might want something slightly different. And this is probably where the startup element comes in as to why am I fibrous compared to working at a large industry such as Abbott. Don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed working at Abbott Diabetes Care. I really enjoyed the team as well. It was all really, really great. But there was just something where I realized I wanted to be surrounded by very ambitious, passionate individuals. Um, where we're all working towards the same goal and we knew what motivated each other and we could rally together at times of need and just really smash something out. Um, At the time, I didn't know that I was defining what a startup is, basically. Uh, Now I do, and I'm very happy that I found that since then. Um, But at the time, I was realizing what it was that I liked about the experience and what it was that I still needed uh, a little bit more of. And, And that was basically where I was at. So then I went back to the University of Bath and um, in my final uh, between my final two years. So I was there for five years where I did a placement in the third year and then it was an integrated master's. So year five was like the master's year as, as part of this whole course. And between years four and five, I did a research internship at the University of Bath where I uh, did a really cool project. Um, to do with the Large Hadron Collider, where we were trying to apply machine. Oh, cool. Yeah, Yeah, this is really cool. Sadly, I didn't get to fly out. I was really hoping uh, to uh. do so, but I actually flew out a bit later and saw the actual data storage units of uh, where the data was that I was, uh, some of it that I was working with. Um, I've never felt such a connection to uh, data before, as in that moment, it was very big. <laughs> <laughs> So um, yeah, that was uh, and th- then at that point that was just more about learning the skills of machine learning. So in these three months, can I really start to get to grips with what it what it means and um, also just learning Python and trying to solve these problems and yeah, figuring out the maths behind everything. And then I just really fell in love with that at that point, and it just strengthened my um, yeah, it just strengthened within myself. I knew that I wanted to really pursue this so that was really the next step but as part of that so this was a research internship and as a result i was working alongside many phd students at the university so at this point i knew that i probably didn't want to right away go into big industry as i was saying but potentially and i realized that the other avenues were maybe it's a phd so i thought this research internship would also be a bit of a chance for me to experience what it would be like to be a phd student in a very small amount of time Um, And I talked to those of these students in the meantime, and was asking, what is it like to do a machine learning PhD in general? Um, And a lot of the feedback was very positive and it sounded like a lot of people were having great experiences. But one thing that I noticed, and I'm not going to say this is all, this happens all the time for everyone. um, But I felt like a lot of people ended up just getting sucked into having to publish a lot of papers um, yeah. that They not necessarily. They didn't necessarily really want to be involved with. It's just that they had to do it to get their PhD, and they had to do whatever the professor wanted with those publications or whatever it was. Um, and that just sounded a bit demotivating to me. That uh, you couldn't just pursue your your passion. You couldn't pursue this amazing project that you might want to rally behind. But it's just about getting something out there in the real world, no matter what it is. Um, And yeah, I felt like there was some dissatisfaction from some of the people in this uh, PhD uh, that put me off. And so I realized that it's not going to be the big industry. It's not going to be a PhD. And what's left, uh, it's got to be a startup. And that's when it really (laughs) all just clicked together. Uh, And at that point, I just became really, really hooked on the idea. Uh, I flew out to uh, California, I remember, I think, in January of 2019, and started talking to a few people who worked in startups, I think my dad was out there for for a little bit and I just got completely hyped. I I knew that this was exactly what I wanted to do. It sounded amazing that people were doing something all together with a shared passion and just extremely motivated. I was having these beautiful visions of like, I don't know, at midnight gathering around some whiteboards, brainstorming over some beers and and that kind of thing. And it it really, really, really excited me. Um, and yeah, then I graduated later that year in 2019 in July and right away started at Fibris after Elena actually found me. Uh, on a hiring website, which is yeah, such a such a lucky charm. I feel very very lucky that that which w- which one, just so people know. So this was a site called Cohire. I think it's changed its name to Cord since then. Um, oh, yeah. I think it's actually also become invite only. So it's a, it's quite quite oh, a wow. quite a niche one. I don't know exactly. I, I mean, I haven't been on this in a while, but um, that's what I'm imagining. Sorry, that, that's what I've been hearing, and um, yeah, yeah, I think. Yeah, so it might be a bit tricky to get on it, but if anybody's listening and uh, wants an invite, my profile's probably still on there, so I can nice. probably send an
0: invite. Nice. <laughs> That's a bit of value straight away. Yeah, but you're very, you're very, you're very passionate guy, aren't you? And you can tell that you were always looking for some, for a lot of connection to the work you're doing. It seems like that is ultimately what what's motivating you this desire to be part of something bigger than yourself to be part of a collective to be part of a vision and a mission and that seemingly is what's driving you it seems like the startup world is almost made for you in in the sense that you've got these crazy optimistic individuals all in a room you're right at midnight writing on whiteboards that's real that 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 happens that is what your job i imagine is on some Days at midnight, you know, as the clock rolls around, and yeah, it, it, it seems that it was definitely made for you. My question is, what do you think makes a good machine learning engineer? What you obviously love the job and you're good at it. There are people that I imagine are considering machine learning engineering. There's people that are considering doing that in a startup, considering doing that in healthcare. What what do you think makes a good machine learning engineer? And for whom is healthcare a good fit would you say
1: yeah good question so in terms of what makes a good machine learning engineer i think it really depends what industry uh, sorry what kind of uh, thing you want to go into is it a startup or is it big industry is it a phd Mm. and they're all very very different so my experience at the startup is there are a lot of challenges that you don't really face anywhere else for example um, there's a huge amount of uncertainty. So to be a good machine learning engineer in this space, you have to be able to deal with that. You have to be, complete, be able to um, have an extremely overwhelming task where you don't really know what you're necessarily going to be doing next. Um, and you don't necessarily have all the data required for it. And start on this completely blank slate and immediately just go. And don't think too hard about all of the different possibilities, but just write something down and keep keep writing, keep coding, uh, and getting to a solution. And I think that's something that's extremely key is dealing with that uncertainty. And it's actually quite exciting and, and and yeah, getting excited about that uncertainty that this means that it's completely up to you. There aren't any written rules here and you have to forge a path through all of this madness to finally get to um, a solution to your problem. So I'd say that's one of the key things in this particular industry in a startup. In terms of in healthcare specifically, I think you also I think you need to be a driven individual in terms of uh, you really want to be somebody who's it's less about just doing your hours and more about really caring about what outcome you're trying to achieve. And so that also means It's not about coming up with some extremely fancy solution involving deep learning and all the big hype words that everybody wants to use nowadays. And and these things are great, don't get me wrong, and they're very, very powerful. But quite often, um, what you want to be is is somebody who's really motivated to solve the problem rather than applying some sort of solution, uh, rather than applying a very specific solution and trying to fit it in. Um, yeah. It's all about like how, how can you solve the problem very simply and in an explainable way. Like, and that's very key in healthcare, right, is you need explainability because you need to know why did an algorithm make the decision that it did. If you don't know um, why an algorithm may have failed with a certain prediction, then it's really, really tricky to dive into everything and to fix it up. And here it's actually really, really key that you, don't have, that you do have this explainability because in healthcare when you are making predictions that is affecting somebody's life potentially in quite an important way you might be telling a patient to go to hospital or saying that they're fine and those two have very very different pathways um, so really understanding your models is really key and not just you understanding your models but having clinicians understand your models so if you are outputting a prediction to a clinician, you want to also have some sort of form of why did we actually make this prediction and just be as transparent as possible. So that's also something that I think makes a machine learning engineer stand out is not just um, looking at all the coolest things that are on the market right now, but just more about solving the problem um, and that's not necessarily always machine learning. That could just be a form of data science. It could be like simple signal processing, um, which some people might not want to do because it might not be like the cool thing. Um, but that is the reality of this field is that you need to solve the problem and you need to be passionate about solving the problem. And you'd always wanna start with the simple solution first. Uh, and only if the simple solution isn't working, then you can just, or you, you've realized that machine learning is working better and you have some sort of baseline already with a simple solution, then you can start introducing some deeper concepts.
0: It's really interesting, mate, because you know I speak to a lot of founders on this podcast and so often motivation comes up. It, you, know, you need the motivation to solve the problem. You need to be extremely interested, almost, unfairly so you know you are so unfairly interested in this problem that you will go to extreme lengths to solve it and it seems that what you're saying is very similar because and why wouldn't it be because at the end of the day the machine learning engineers are going to be an extension of those founders to help solve the problem but you're right to be so motivated but also so passionate about the problem is what's going to make the difference in healthcare seemingly because you've talked about you've talked around certainly deeply understanding the subject matter because it seems that there's more to being a machine learning engineer than just writing lines of code it's actually the contextualization of that code within the subject matter and how it makes a difference is actually very important and i suppose for you guys to know how that translates is far more valuable to the company and to the solution and to eventually solving the problem than just being able to write lines of code, right? My question next is, is around the, thinking of it the other way. Hiring is tough for startups, for founders, for entrepreneurs, for everybody, you know, no matter what stage you're at, whether you're looking for a co-founder, whether you're series A, trying to bring the first 10, 20 people in, whether you're beyond and trying to expand the teams, finding good machine learning engineers is tough. You are a good machine learning engineer. You are all those things that you've talked about. You've got that passion and that motivation. I've not seen how good you are at writing code. I imagine it's very good. <laughs> but you've certainly got those elements you just described about what makes a good machine learning engineer in healthcare. What's attractive from your point of view when looking at a company to join? And you can talk about it from, you know, you joining FIBRS specifically, but even, you know, other people that you know that have joined other companies, be those big companies or small companies, what is going to attract the best talent from a machine learning engineer perspective? Is it the subject matter specifically? Is it autonomy? Is it leadership on growth opportunities? Is it compensation? Is it equity? Is it salary? Like, how, 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 what is it that's going to attract the best talent here? Brand of the company is another one that I'm deeply connected to at the moment. So like, yeah. is that, that's another one, you know? Is it the founders? Is it the people who interview you? I don't know. You tell me.
1: Sure. I can say it from my perspective. I don't know if this is going to stand for everybody. But for me, it, it's extremely important to have a good culture. And I think you can really see that. Uh, in an interview like are people excited to be where they are when you're uh, having that interview do they really really want to to be there or is it just more of a job that they're doing so I actually think it's almost the same answer as the other way around that uh, for me it's always seeking this connection with people where we could do something together because the moment where people aren't necessarily motivated not, then you just feel de-energized as well if you're around um, a team who aren't just necessarily there to do something together and do something amazing together. So that's definitely something that I would look for and definitely something I felt when I was um, joining Febris as well it was absolutely magical really I I have nothing but good words in terms of how I was feeling at the time of these interviews Um, and also I think you can get a lot from um, how the interview is conducted Mm -hmm. so um, one thing that I really liked at Febris was that they didn't just ask loads of Google type questions where it's, you, you know, you know, <laughs> how the many ones marbles where it's like, can you
0: fit in a bedroom? You know, that kind of nonsense. Yeah yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Or like, imagine you're, you've shrunk to the size of a penny and you're in a blender, like all, yeah, all this how do you stuff.
0: Get out? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you, you
1: know, you know the one. I know. Um, so yeah, basically I think it's, it's really important. Um, it's obviously really important to test how good somebody is at solving these problems. But what I found is these sorts of things, you either know it or you don't. And you've either practiced um, solving these sorts of problems or you are just going in blindly. And as a result, I feel people end up hiring um, not necessarily the right people as a result of this because they've just hired the people who've practiced for an interview rather than hiring people who have true passion and true Uh, growth mentality Um, what you mentioned earlier about growth mentality that's the other thing I think is really key is to see that it's a company where they're encouraging you to grow and it's not about having all the answers right now it's about trusting you that you will have the answers soon and um, yeah you need to be the type of person who is willing to go into a field where you have to wear different hats and you have to learn new experiences and just get stuck in and learn about it yourself because there aren't enough people to do it for you so, yeah, it yeah. sounds
0: it sounds to me as well. sounds to me as well like there's, there's a bit of horses for courses there as well, isn't it? Like as the company, you want to be expressing yourself to the truest that you actually are. If you are more interested in just workhorse delivery, then fair enough. Ask all those Google type questions of how do you escape a blender if you're the size of a pen, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> but actually, if you're looking to foster culture and camaraderie and you want more of that vibe then present that more to the people that are going to come in and that's obviously going to attract those people and i think you know knowing knowing the company and knowing you i can see how it's a fit because i know i know the people in the company and i know that that is the the vibe the ethos you know you call it culture call it whatever you like and i can see certainly how you fit into that and I can therefore see how you guys work together as a team. On that team point, as a machine learning engineer, do you work individually a lot? Do you come together as a team a lot to solve problems? What does the day-to-day look like as a machine learning engineer in a health tech startup?
1: Yeah, good question. It really depends on where the project is at the moment. So quite often, we, we need to all play to our strengths and understand the strengths of each other as well for example i'm uh, i think the thing that i'm mainly uh, focused on and really enjoy is getting hard things done quickly and, and doing nice. doing the initial stage of um getting a prototype together and uh going from extreme uncertainty as i was saying earlier about starting on this completely blank page to having a solution that works and is explainable, it's simple, it's clinically backed uh, because we will have talked to experts in the field as well, and um, yeah, at that at that point, that that's that's kind of my area of expertise is getting from that initial start point to this prototype. Um, However, because I, I feel like I can be quite fast with, what I, with how I do things, and that means I might not have considered absolutely all possibilities. It's always a trade-off between pace and quality, and that's always the tricky part in, in the team, actually. Um, and I think in, in many teams, it'll always be quite tricky to
0: trade that off. That sums and... up life in a startup perfectly. Like yeah. especially people in products. Especially people. You know, like, that is that is it. That really is it. You know, pace versus quality. Oh, oh, for chimes with me, mate. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear. I'm not alone
1: in that. You're so, definitely, like, not, oh, alone. definitely, You're definitely not alone. You're definitely not
0: alone. It's funny. I mentioned on a, I was on a phone call with friends the other day, and and uh, just you know, you, you talk about the things that are happening and. It just, it's just that it's always nice to have a reminder that there's there's always just nonsense going on everywhere there's always something <laughs> going no no company's perk. there's always bits going on like it's nice but yeah everyone's grappling with pace and quality in a startup it's so true uh, nobody's getting it 100% right you know it's funny anyway
1: yeah, yeah 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 so i guess you just have to iterate and figure it out exactly, as you go exactly exactly um and yeah, but you just have to acknowledge that and, you, and that's what I've acknowledged is that I'm quite extreme on the pace side and there are others that are a bit more extreme on the quality side. And if we play to each other's strengths nice. and are able to understand and trust each other to do those parts right that we're good at, it actually can be really, really powerful. So often um, teamwork can actually be really, really great. So once we've got it to that prototype stage, that's all fine, but the important thing in a startup is we're a production company, like we're a product, we need yep. to deploy those models, meaning that those mistakes that I'm talking about, if I've made them, they need to be thoroughly uh, found and uh, tested and any, like, we need to make sure it's as robust as possible uh, and as transparent as possible, as explainable as possible, and we all understand just how good it is and uh, maybe where it's going wrong, etc., so that we can be very transparent when we release it as well. Uh, And as a result, that's where the quality side really starts to come into play. So from prototype to deployment. Um, and that's where we'll work together quite a lot as a team so maybe one of us will be working more on um, ensuring that everything is going right in terms of the quality side and then another one of us will be working to make sure it's still moving forward and we're not just going down these crazy rabbit holes which I'm sure is another thing a lot of people experience uh, that you end up not deploying it because you just like start tweaking, 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 tweaking because you're like oh this isn't good, this isn't good Um, which is fine if you're if this is just some sort of hobby but if you while are trying to release this, you need to make some decisions. Those decisions might have to be uncomfortable at times. Uh, and that's where the pace mentality needs to come in again. So yeah, it's about finding that balance. And I think that balance is really only found in a team where you have uh, people who are more focused on pace and more focused on quality.
0: Love it, love it. Yeah. So practically speaking, what projects have you got going on now? And what does a day in the life of Max look like on these projects?
1: Oh, it's uh, pretty mad right now. Uh, very, very happy to talk about it. So it's, there are a lot of Pulse Ox um, features that we're trying to work on at the moment and uh, they're all going pretty well. So the main thing, because so Pulse
0: Oximeters, uh, by the way, for people that don't know. Sorry. <laughs>
1: yeah, no, that's me doing my lingo. A Pulling thing on, on the oximeters. finger that looks
0: at light and it determines how much oxygen's in your blood, if I remembered anything from medicine correctly. Thank you very much i should have really said that uh, (laughs) a lot earlier (laughs) yes so uh,
1: pulse oximeters which are mainly used to uh, get your oxygen saturation something i think that has been uh, quite prevalent during covid actually so maybe more people are familiar with this Um, the amazing thing about this device it's not just useful for oxygen saturation it's also really useful for extracting your heart rate and it can even be used for extracting respiratory rate detecting arrhythmia and all sorts of other things. So people have used this device for many, many things, if you can get the raw signal output from this. Um, And that's really exciting, but also extremely challenging because we're a startup where we have deployed to um, various settings in the community where we're not getting perfect signals. And as a result, the signal quality can suffer uh, a fair amount from these devices. So one thing that we're really trying to work on is to detect with absolute certainty where is their good quality in this signal and where is the signal actually quite poor quality. And as a result, we can then feed that back to the user so that they can improve their signal quality as they record. Uh, And also we can then focus in only on the good quality sections to extract these biomarkers of disease um, because Quite often that's what happens in a lot of the papers that they say this works perfectly in these amazing signals that are absolutely, wonderfully um, controlled in every single way. But as soon as you introduce that noise, as soon as there's a bit of motion noise, or as soon as there actually is arrhythmia of some kind, and these sorts of things, the models start to fall down and they end up predicting completely the wrong thing.
0: Do you know what, just to jump in, this is such, a gloriously unsexy problem to solve but it is <laughs> still an incredible problem to solve you are absolutely right that pulse oximeter the volume of insights that that pulse oximeter can can give you yes it's measuring deoxygenated versus oxygenated hemoglobin yes you can measure heart rate quite clearly but you're right you can also you can also measure respiratory rate through i imagine quite a complex AI machine learning algorithm all the rest of it, but it is so underutilized because of alarm fatigue, uh, the fact that it can fall off, the fact that it's just a messy signal, that nobody's going to be confident in measuring remotely any of that stuff, because so much can go wrong with the hardware, so much can go wrong with like the trace and all that sort of stuff. That, there's, there's no way you'd stick it on someone in, a, in one room and then just feel completely comfortable in another room being like, oh, yeah, that wild like flat line is like, oh, they've they've absolutely, you know, no one's <laughs> gonna trust that at all. You're just gonna assume like, oh, something's happened. If it goes wildly off, someone's gonna assume you're moving. Like, so you're right. I think this is a, a really interesting application of machine learning, I think. Because if machine learning can clean up that trace and genuinely label what is going on and then actually correct for the stuff that can send that trace completely off, that pulse oximeter becomes arguably the most important piece of kit in any any clinical or non-clinical, in fact, more importantly, setting. Globally, the difference that that could make is just enormous because this super cheap piece of kit can measure so much accurately. Like, honestly, it's it's something that, oh man, it's just a big problem to solve, right? And, and this is what you're working on, clearly.
1: Yeah, yeah, so this is it. I completely share your sentiments. It feels really huge, and as you said, it's such a cheap device, and actually, yeah. anybody can get one of these, and if you can suddenly extract all of these insights, like this is a lot of key vital signs that you can suddenly have mm. just literally on your fingertips, right? Um, that's so powerful. But yeah, the key is getting the signal quality aspect in place. And once you have that, then really you can just smash out all of these projects without having to worry um, is it extracting things from the right place at the wrong place? So it's really about establishing that foundation first. Uh, so I can see, I can see how, of, like,
0: I can so. see, I, just to jump in, I can see how, like, my mind then just goes to like these midnight whiteboard meetings right and i can see just how you how you can actually galvanize so much energy to solve a problem like that because when you look down the road you can consider vision mission etc or just even look at what if this problem were solved what would the world look like it's so wildly different to what it looks like now. I mean, okay, yes, it's all somewhat of a, a gradual change, but if you skip to the end of what if the pulse Sox was this glorious thing, like you could easily, I'd stay up till midnight working on that with you. Like, isn't, there's no two ways about it, I'd, lo- <laughs> I'd love that. It'd be really cool, I mean, obviously it's, uh, I, I am weighted towards health tech, so clearly I'm interested in that problem to solve, but I totally get it. But a day in the life then, you tell me, what, is, what does it look like to actually solve that problem on a day-to-day basis?
1: Sure. So a lot of it is about getting the right data in place initially. Um, And that means talking to clinicians is the first thing. So uh, actually going back to a previous question where you asked what makes a good machine learning engineer yeah. in this field, it's communication as well. And, and understanding that you can't just solve it through machine learning with nothing else. You can't just solve it. You can't regard everything as a tech problem. You have to regard it as a clinical problem, meaning that you need to get those clinical insights um, and have clinical backing on the process that you're trying to achieve here. So. That's really one thing that we do quite a lot of at the moment is we're talking to experts, Uh, we're talking to people who are heavily, um, they they might have seen a lot of uh, pulse oximeter traces like anesthesiologists and once we have those insights we can also get them to annotate various signals for quality because they are the ones who really know what is good quality, what is bad quality, when do I trust this, when do I not? and once we have those annotations we can then actually prototype all of these models using those annotations and then validate them. Um, so that's one key thing is, is talking to these uh, clinicians and also setting up labeling challenges so that we're getting as much data as possible that's very reliable. Um, the second part is actually yeah in terms of getting the data you need to make sure that you're getting the data in the right way and it's, not just, it's really actually quite a difficult challenge to make sure that um, the annotations that you receive are how you want them to be. Um, It's something that I would not have expected before. And like when you're working in industry, in a big industry or when you're working for a PhD, I feel like quite often the data might already be there um, or you can annotate the data yourself, but not in healthcare. Um, It's not, it wouldn't be right for me to annotate this because I don't have the training clinically to say, oh, this is, this is a real, real part of the signal. This is not, uh, this is motion noise. uh, Because this could be maybe a clinical uh, issue that the patient is experiencing. And that's still good quality. It's just um, a different type of that. So yeah, we need to make sure that we're getting the labels in the right way. So there's a lot of time spent thinking about that. Because actually, the machine learning part itself is probably the part that happens the fastest. It's all the stuff (laughs) around it. It's that process, right? Um, It's one of those jobs, and I feel like there are a lot of jobs like this, where you think you're going to be doing uh, machine learning for 90% of the time, but usually it'll only be like 10, 20, and most of the time it's getting those labels, getting the data in in a good format that's very usable, uh, talking to experts, and then writing quality documentation, uh, getting
0: everything tested and deployed, and all of these things are really, really, really key. That's really interesting. That is really interesting, by the way, because... Yeah, you speak you speak to any any junior doctor about like how much time did you think you'd spend thinking like Dr House and and you know figuring out these diagnoses with a team and how much is actually just doing a lot of other things, you know, running up to radiology to try and sell your patient to get a scan done and doing a bit of teaching writing up notes speaking to the nurses about this patient like on a ward round like like answering bleep like it, it it's wildly more complex and different um but also similarly very very interesting it sounds like yeah and this is it. like this is why you also have to be very mission driven
1: because if you're coming into this kind of role, thinking, "Oh, I'm just going to be doing really cool models, chances are it's actually very unlikely like you will be doing that, but it's not going to be the prime like the majority of your time, and it's also not the focus. The focus is getting things delivered that are going to make a big impact um, in healthcare, and that doesn't usually involve these extremely high tech solutions all of the time. Um sometimes it does sometimes it does but yeah overall you're going to have to really focus on the whole process and not just that middle bit.
0: I love that man and just to pick up on something you said there you said that's the importance of being mission driven. I love that because that for me summarizes the fact that there is always overhead. There, You are always gonna be doing things that you don't necessarily absolutely love. You're always gonna be doing some things that you're learning and finding difficult. But you're right, it's being mission-driven. And that is, I think, where we're lucky in health tech because we do have a sector where what we do matters. And therefore, to be aligned to that mission, to that mission and that vision, you can push through. You can break through those brick walls because you do have the energy, knowing it's doing something that matters. So I love that, and I think that's a really, really nice way to wrap up, mate. And I think it's been, it's been a pleasure having you on, man. I, I honestly, my my view of what a machine learning engineer was and what they do has changed. I think I held that belief that you spend ninety percent of your time writing lines of code. And actually, much like any other job, and it's surprising, I didn't think this, that actually it's liaising and speaking with all the annotators and it's meeting with the rest of the team to figure out how you solve the problem and go about it. You then split the tasks between you to focus on your strengths. And there's people in quality, there's people in pace, as you called it. There's, yeah, there's all these different personalities even within it. And it seems to be a very rewarding career. I I like the stuff that's logic based, that has a an, an ending often, or at least has a neat solution that when you press enter, it turns up with something rather than an error. I like that feeling. I, I can identify <laughs> with that. Um, I love that. And yeah, as I say, it's been a pleasure learning about what you do, mate. Um, my final question would be, plenty of people I imagine listening, whether they're clinicians wanting to do something different, whether they are in the machine learning field and want to get to where you are in startup land or indeed any other, example of, of of what they might want to get in touch with you. but people might want to speak to you so if they do what's the best way for them to get in touch with you
1: oh yeah sure um so that would be emailing me so that's max at febris.com uh quite a nice simple email which is good <laughs> <laughs>
0: a very startup email yeah absolutely yeah. i'm also on
1: linkedin um so uh please feel free to get in touch with me through there so that's max anson um i think i might be one of the only few max ansons in the world it's a bit of a weird name
0: so (laughs) that should make it easy yeah but i'd be very very delighted to chat to anybody at all about anything really amazing max thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure thank you so much james this has been really really great fun i've had a lot of fun being here hey everyone thanks for listening and making it all the way to the end of this episode Remember to subscribe, rate us, and leave a review. And you can head to the description of this episode to follow me on all of my social media so you don't miss out on any of the latest health tech content.